everybody, welcome to episode two of the Budget Cinema Podcast. Uh, this episode, we're going to talk about a movie. Well, it's a movie that some people love, some people hate. Came out March 6, 1987, uh, distributed through Warner Brothers, uh, directed by Richard Donner, written by Shane Black, starring Mel Gibson, Danny Glover, and Gary Busey before he got all Buseyed. Yes, I'm talking about the original Lethal Weapon. Get in here! Hey, okay, no bullshit. You want to kill yourself? Oh, for Christ. Shut up! Yes or no? You want to die? Yes or no? I got the job done. What the hey, hell do you want? You didn't answer the question. Oh, what do you want to hear, man? Do you want to hear that sometimes I think about eating a bullet? Huh? Well, I do. I do. I even got a special one for the occasion with a hollow point. Look, make sure it blows the back of my goddamn head out. Do the job right. Every single day I wake up and I think of a reason not to do it every single day. And you know why I don't do it? This is going to make you laugh. You know why I don't do it? The job. Doing the job. Now, that's the reason. You want to die. I don't. I'm not afraid of it. I ain't afraid of it. Yeah, take my gun. Don't nibble on the barrel. Pull the trigger. Go ahead, pal. Be my guest. Go ahead if you're serious. You shouldn't tempt me, man. Put it in your mouth. Bullet might go through your, your ear and not kill you. Yeah, under the chin. Yeah, 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 under the chin. <laughs> And with me this week, uh, AJ, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Ron. It is a pleasure to here to talk about this film. As you know, I am a big Emilio Estevez fan. He is a underrated comic genius, and it's great to finally talk about his crowning achievement. Yeah, we're talking about Lethal Weapon, not Loaded Weapon. Well, goddammit. You just done fucked up, son. Ugh, not again, not again. And that was Sam Jackson portraying the Danny Glover part, wasn't it? That that was I think uh, Shatner was the villain I want to say in that one. Yeah, he was the uh, the Mitch Ryan character. Okay, yeah. I, I, it has been forever since I've seen Loaded Weapon one, but and we're not the only, the biggest thing that I remember of that the biggest takeaway is like for some reason Emilio's head popping out in the middle of like the first Ninja Turtles movie. Right, right. And then he just like goes away, and it's like what what. So it has been a long time. It's one of those movies my friends absolutely love it. I was kind of indifferent to it, kind of like wrongfully accused, where it's just like one of those spoof things they grew up with, and I'm a curmudgeonly 13-year-old going, meh, it wasn't that great, meh. That's, I think we can't we can't go forward talking about Lethal Weapon without talking about real quick how they are going to be doing a TV series now starring some guy who thinks he's uh, 80s-era Mel Gibson, and Damon Wayans as the Danny Glover part. Like, is this Damon Wayans Senior or Junior? We're talking about the old guy, the one from uh, uh, In Living Color. Okay, yeah, there's a there's a ton of TV show adaptations coming out this year. Like, you have the 
the Exorcist TV series and the Taken TV series coming up. Uh, yeah. Ay, 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 ay. Damien already got uh, canceled. Which one got canceled? Damien. Oh, oh that already got? Omen? Yeah. Already? I thought that was doing pretty good. No, uh, Bates Motel, I think, is the, the most popular of the film to TV okay. adaptations. Okay. Okay, I knew that Rush Hour got canceled, and I was surprised because I thought that was still coming up. And I was like, oh, God, is that bad? Never, I don't think it even premiered. Really? Yeah. Ouch. Jeez. Yeah. Uh, so let's, uh, let's, let's get into the film here. Um, it's, uh, let's, let's get into a little, a little background here. Shane Black uh, wrote this in uh, mid-'85. And then right after he had graduated UCLA, and if you know that, if you hear that, second time I've mentioned Shane Black, I think in in, in an episode, uh, he's gone. He went on to do Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, uh, The Nice Guys, which is in theaters now. Please go see it. Um, and he, and and of course he went on to piss off comic book fans everywhere with Iron Man three, to which you know Bravo Shane, you know it was a it was a great creative decision, and it made sense within the context of the story. Uh, I'm still not going to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen Iron Man 3, but if you know what I'm talking about, yeah, I'm on Team Black on this one. You know, it didn't bother me so much, it, the, the the Mandarin thing. Um, I think what bothered me more was uh, Guy Pierce as the villain. But Yeah, and of course, you know, that kind of has a whole new light shed onto it after, you know, pretty recently Shane Black came out and said, like, yeah, they kind of made me change some things around where it was going to basically supposed to be uh, Re- Rebecca Hall as the main villain in that movie. But they're like, nah, women, don't, girl figures don't sell. We got to make it a guy. And bleh. yeah, poor Black Widow. Uh, yeah. Apparently, um, Richard Donner is the person who in- invited Mel Gibson. But Richard Donner wasn't the first choice uh, to direct this picture, believe it or not. Um, who was uh, Leonard Nimoy was also one of the choices. Insert your own uh, illogical uh, joke here. Yeah, he just didn't feel comfortable doing action films, and he was working on Three Men and a Baby at the time. Okay, okay. So, because, you know, one one's uh, lost in obscurity, and the other is a giant franchise. Um, <laughs> now, apparently, Bruce, uh, you mentioned Loaded Weapon 1, uh, with the whole Bruce, remember the character Bruce? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, he uh, Bruce Willis was considered for the Riggs role, um, but I think we lucked out with Mel Gibson before he went crazy. Um, mm-hmm. Now, uh, do you think that Lethal Weapon? I think it, it it doesn't hold up culturally because the Coke culture and all that kind of stuff is kind of gone by the wayside, um, and the and the, the 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 whole tone of the film doesn't really stand. I still love watching it. It's one of my favorite franchises. Um, but do you think that Lethal Weapon is the film that's responsible for us getting other buddy cop movies, uh, like Kiss Kiss Bang Bang or The Nice Guys? I mean, granted, that's all, they're all Shane Black, but, uh, there's other people who've tried it and it just didn't seem to work. I mean, granted, Rush Hour was this gigantic success, but that doesn't mean it was good. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, before Lethal Weapon came out, there were dysfunctional uh, buddy cop movies. You saw that a lot in the Dirty Harry series, especially, uh, I think it was in The Enforcer when it was uh, Tyne Daly as the partner. It's like, Dirty Harry with a woman? What? So, like, Lethal Weapon wasn't the first 
to have that, you know, mismatched pair conceit in terms of uh, in terms of like cop thrillers and cop stories. But it definitely popularized it. It definitely uh, made an impression on people. And when uh, this movie came out and uh, I don't want to say like it came out of nowhere, but it kind of was a relatively low profile movie. It had uh, some decent sized names to it. It had a prominent director in uh, Richard Donner, who, you know, the previous decade did uh, The Omen and uh, Superman. So it wasn't like he was uh, some uh, uh, director they kind of like plucked out of obscurity or anything. But uh, yeah, it just kind of came out at the right time. And it's a surprise success led to a lot of imitators because, you know, buddy cop movies, they don't necessarily, you know, have to have the biggest uh, budgets, as long as you have the team dynamic, that's kind of the main draw of the movie, uh, and that is the main draw of uh, this particular movie, because, you know, you look at the action sequences and the story, and they're there and they drive things forward, but it does kind of take a second, uh, take a backseat to the relationship between uh, Riggs and Murtaugh, how they play off of one another, and so, yeah, definitely a lot of movies after this came out kind of said, all right, let's do our own, uh, let's do our own thing, and some were really good at it, and some were very, very poor at it, a la, you know, Collision Course with uh, Jay Leno and Pat Morita. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, ten, ten minutes into the show, I already made Ron sigh. You broke me already. <laughs> I broke oh. the Ron. <laughs> you know what's funny, though, is that this is, I mean, and, and this just shows the, 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 the dynamic of Danny Glover as an actor. Because mm-hmm. the previous film he did before Lethal Weapon was The Color Purple. Yeah, and then and, and, Murtaugh and and Mister are two completely different characters, and the range on that guy. But can we talk about the thing that bugs me the most about the lethal, about the first Lethal Weapon film? And I think that? the second one as well is the ridiculously bad ADR. Yeah, I saw that a little bit. Yeah, that's something that does not hold up. I mean, because you know, like Murtaugh will be talking to his kids, and his lips won't move, but you'll hear the words coming out. Yeah, and uh, I think it was when uh, they, in the scene where uh, Riggs and Murtaugh are driving up to the, uh, in the hills, that house with, like, the drug lab in it, and, like, this is Lifestyles of the Rich and Shameless, like, yeah, that's very obviously ADR, like, that was not recorded in that car, or at the same time as the other dialogue, just kind of, it it was a little distracting, not as much as, uh, it annoyed you, but yeah, it was there. It was there for sure. It annoys me, but it's also part of the charm of the film, I think. Right. You know, um, and I, I do uh, appreciate the fact that Richard Donner directed all four of them. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't just, uh, you know, do, he just didn't establish the franchise and then let it go. Uh, I did notice that Shane Black only came back as, and he only has story credit for part two. Yeah, I think, uh, wasn't it uh, Jeffrey Bohm who kind of got more of the credit for two? He did uh, Last Crusade. Yeah, I think so. I think okay. so. And uh, he was, well, Shane Black was all gone by three and four. And just a little, touching on three just for a second, it was great to see Rene Russo doing something that I cared about. Um, mm. And uh, she was great to be the one that got uh, all shot up instead of Riggs and Murtaugh. Um, but another thing is like the, the references, like you said, Lifestyles of the Rich and Shameless. That is totally an 80s thing that if a kid... 16 years old, finds this on the shelf at, at his parents' house and decides, you know what, I'm going to watch this because I don't know who these people are. I don't know what a Mel Gibson is. 
Uh, mm-hmm. And he pops it in and, you know, says something like that. Or you got uh, Riggs running around with his flannel shirt tucked into his jeans, driving a pickup truck, you know, with a, with the mullet. And he's not in the South, you know, <laughs> that whole thing. That's that what, glory, that glorious mullet just displayed in the wind like a flag. It it was fantastic. It really was. Um, I mean, I, I mean, if you look at the cast, though, I mean, besides Danny Glover and and uh, uh, Mel Gibson, you had uh, Gary Busey playing Mister Joshua, who was very intimidating, I think. But despite you know, this, this is pre Busey, Busey. Yeah, this is kind of before he became like a walking joke. Like, oh, isn't that Gary Busey guy so crazy? At this point, he was still like, oh yeah, he was in uh, the Buddy Holly story. He was kind of a faded actor, and he got he like kind of asked for the chance to be like, hey, I want to audition for this part and play this uh, fearsome guy. And yeah, he he kind of was like an eighties. I'm trying to figure out the best way to put that. He is like a Bond henchman of the 80s, like in that style where like the main bad guy is kind of boring, but he's just like this colorful weirdo personality who kind of sticks out more so than the main bad guy. Right, right. Well, they they wanted him because he, they they needed somebody who was a believable foe for Mel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Mitch, Mitchell Ryan up against Mel Gibson from 1987. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, Mitch. You're done, pal. And and let's not forget also in the cast, Drunky McGee from Halloween Three himself, Tom Atkins yes. as Michael Hunsaker. Yes, and uh, he even though he was only in the movie like maybe maybe ten minutes, and I'm being generous, uh, he was great. He stole the scenes he was in. I mean, he was great. He was only in scenes with uh, with Danny Glover, but I mean, he made me not want to drink eggnog by a window ever again. <laughs> And in those two scenes, you could just smell the Budweiser coming off the you really screen. Could. You could. It, yeah. it was dripping down my my computer monitor when I was watching it. On <laughs> like, like, like he was he was like banging robots in between scenes. <laughs> um, apparently, from early pre-production stages in *Lethal Weapon*, Richard Donner wanted Mel Gibson's like final fight sequence to be something that's unique. Uh, and, and, um, the assistant director, Willie Simmons had an avid interest in unusual forms of martial arts. So that's how they got that. Cause that was not a very martial arts based fight, despite the whole, like, you know, we, we should rather register you with the lethal weapon. And I just said the name of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. But it was kind of more like a Brazilian jujitsu kind of, cause apparently, um, they brought in a bunch of experts for the fight sequences. Mm-hmm. Believe it or not, um, and one of them is uh, known to uh, MMA fans, uh, um, uh, Rory and Gracie. Okay, so uh, that's uh, that's kind of a big thing. Uh, I'd also like to point out that, uh, despite the fact that um, uh, <laughs> Shane Black had story credit for the second film, this is the only one to take place at Christmas, much like all the rest of his films take mm-hmm. place at Christmas. But now, yeah. uh, remind me, Nice Guys didn't take place at Christmas. Uh, the ending did, or at least the ending it led indicated to Christmas. that. Yeah, it led to Christmas. Christmas was on the way. Okay, right, that's right, that's right. And in even Iron Man 3, Christmas, giant teddy bear. Yeah, that's right. Oh, gee, God damn, what does he have? What's Shane Black's deal with Christmas? Has he ever said, why? 
I don't know. Maybe he just really digs Rudolph. I don't know. I don't know. Um, there's also a running gag in this film uh, for Richard Donner when uh, Jackie Swanson dies in the beginning, Amanda Hunsaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you notice, that's the third person in like three films that has fallen. Uh, you had Lee Rem- Remick from uh, The Omen, mm-hmm. Margot Kidder in Superman, and then she fell. So it's like a on- it's like a running gag. If only they shoved Matthew Broderick at the beginning of Lady Hawk, like that. We that movie probably would have been ten times better. Yeah, well, what are you gonna do? I mean, like, well, if they would, if they would have just shoved him, we wouldn't have had that god awful Godzilla. Oh, that's a lot of fish. <laughs> that was a very good Matthew Broderick. Thank um, you. Uh, but you, I mean, you had Academy Award nominated people on this film. You know, and and for I don't know if did they take it for a paycheck? Did they, I mean, can you really love a script like this and and look at it and say this is you know, this urban western is gonna? I mean, granted, Gary Busey says that this film uh, changed his career. Mm-hmm. It, it it brought him back from the brink, apparently. Yeah. Um, but I, uh, I'm I'm sure I'm sure the people involved did kind of think it was a paycheck movie because I want to believe that the budget really wasn't all that high on this one i want to say it was like 15 million dollars or just around that so it was pretty low yeah and it made and, 120 yeah and then it was a big success and after that when the the sequel started rolling in then they're like okay this is my meal ticket and that kind of gave them license to be a little bit more crazy and which uh depending on how you look at it either like enhanced the series or just kind of took away from like the very lean uh, charm that the first movie had. And see, see, my my first exposure for Lethal Weapon as a series was seeing uh, Lethal Weapon four. So that was my introduction. Oh, that was my dear boy. Yeah, I, I know. So like every subsequent movie, I'm like, why aren't they fighting a flamethrower guy at like or some like crazy new villain at the beginning of each successive movie? And I think like the first Lethal Weapon was the second one. I, I saw the series out of whack. I think it was like four one three and two was the order that I saw this, but lethal weapon. Uh, the first one was the second one that I saw. And it's kind of like when you go from like army of darkness to evil dead, like the extremes are just like, it just gives you whiplash. Oh, definitely. And, and I loved the way that they, despite this being an act a buddy cop action flick that they still were able to give character development to these people. You know, uh, uh Raj is on the, on the verge of retirement. Uh, and uh, Riggs is ready to pull a put a bullet in his head. Mm-hmm. You know that scene where he's sitting in the trailer looking at a picture of his dead wife Vicky, and he's got the hollow point, and he puts it in the chamber, and he puts the barrel in his mouth. It just it still, I mean, it doesn't make me un. It's not unsettling because I know what's going to happen. You know, because yeah. there is a lethal weapon four. Um, yeah. But it's just it's still a very strong scene for a buddy cop movie absolutely like uh the series would come to be known for its uh jokiness uh later on like even starting with the second movie where you have that scene with uh, uh Murtaugh on the toilet the toilet bomb yes. which is a which is a, which is a tense scene but still it's like it's a toilet bomb here and the, and the first lethal weapon definitely has its uh funny goofy lines but for the most part it is a pretty you know dead serious movie none of the jokes are are kind of are, are are condescending or break the mood. They do fit in with the tone of that the, they set forth for the characters. 
but the jokes that you that we get in two, three, and four were definitely established in part one. Like the mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, oh, this is thin. You know, oh, it's anorexic. You know, yeah, you know, um, stuff like yeah, that. that. Yeah, that that was the problem. Starting one of the problems starting off with Lethal Weapon Four is that even when I was like, I was like thirteen when I saw it. I'm like, yeah, I miss something here. Like you just you kind of get the feeling that it's an ongo, it's been an ongoing party that you just walked in the middle of. And you're like, yeah, I should have gotten here like three movies earlier. I'll be back, guys. Yeah, it's like walking into an orgy after everybody's already found a partner. <laughs> And it's like, oh, boy, and they've already made in-jokes and have favorite positions and everything. And you're like, oh, boy, this is awkward. Yeah, and but what I did love is that is that uh, Lethal Weapon kind of set the tone for um, a lot of the uh, stereotypes, um, like uh, Al Young as Endo. That mm-hmm. guy just started showing up in everything as the bad Chinese guy. Die Hard, and then what was that one like cage fighting movie with Lou Ferrigno and Red Brown? Um, Spoonie reviewed it. Oh man, I don't even remember now. Was it? Was it just called like Rage or something? Uh, I'm looking right now. I'm not, cage. 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 That's it. From from '89. Yeah. 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 Like I mean, he was a uh, nameless in the Twilight Zone movie. He was uh, Wing Wing Kong, the Hatchet Man in Big Trouble. A little China. <laughs> oh boy! He was just a resistance member, and they live. Mm-hmm. Uh, terrorist and die hard. He was a chauffeur in Action Jackson, the classic, the classic Carl Weathers film. Uh, he played. He was Genghis Khan and Bill and Ted. I mean, really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Showdown in Little Tokyo. If I remember correctly, that is a uh, Brandon Lee Dolph Lundgren vehicle. A Brandon Lee Dolph Lundgren joint. Yes, as it were. remember the joint part. He was a thug in Last Action Hero. He was a pit fighting fan in Hot Shots Part Two. Uh, he was a right hand man in Double Dragon. I mean, it just goes on like that. Deadly Target, Beverly Hills Cop Three, Escape from L.A. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a fisherman in the 1998 Godzilla movie. A Chinese <laughs> so he... man was a fisherman. What? <laughs> So he, like, transitioned from, like, the cream of the crop of 80s action movies to, like, the very mediocre 90s action movies. He just kind of, like, down, went down. Well, here's the here's the kicker. As he's in Lethal Weapon uh, as Endo, uh, the guy who's inflicting all the pain on Riggs. Uh, and then he shows up in Lethal Weapon 4, and his role is nameless. <laughs> hey! <laughs> So now I yeah. have to go back and watch Lethal Weapon 4 just to look for uh, Al Young. That kind of seems peculiar, considering, like, this series is, like, it it, it, it kind of prides itself on, keep, like, bringing everybody back as much as possible. Right. From from uh, previous installments. And then, like, oh, yeah, the guy who was in, like, one of the more uh, infamous scenes, you know, the uh, electric shock torture scene from this one. There's like, Oh, who's that? Uh, never mind. Just, just whatever. Bring him in. Exactly. Oh, speaking of, we're short on Asians. Call Al up. <laughs> That's pretty much, that, that had to have been the production meeting. Uh, and then, uh, the last role he's done, uh, he's probably retired at this point, uh, was the Scorpion King in 2002. Okay. He was the Asian training master. Oh, Okay. And let's not forget his TV roles. He was on The Equalizer, The Greatest American Hero, Heart to Heart, Riptide, MacGyver, Renegade, TJ Hooker, The A-Team. He was uh, the warlord and stunt coordinator on Kung Fu The Legend Continues. 
<laughs> and let's not forget, uh, he was on Caroline in the City for a story arc. Oh, hey, how can how could I forget? As Le- he was, he was heartbreaking. And Leah Thompson is my woman, my WCE woman crush every day. Um, I hear ya. When I was when I was young, and I watched Howard the Duck, and I saw the crimped in her hair, I'm like, oh, oh, what what what's going what what what's going on, pants? Um, but yeah, so. Uh, I love how this talk about Lethal Weapon has turned into an Al Young, Al Young uh, love fest. <laughs> Al Young tribute show. It pretty much has. Uh, he and it's just, uh, he's got a cult following. No shit. Shit. Yeah. But but yeah, going back to what you were saying about like all these tropes, the one that uh, caught my attention uh, was the uh, was the score, which uh, Michael Kamen and Eric Clapton and David Sanborn. Uh, Yep, yep, they all contributed to the score. Very sax-heavy score. And the first thing that this uh, that the score kind of reminded me of was watching uh, Last Action Hero back in the day, which is a, tr- a tribute and homage and parody of whatever you want to call it. It just references every action movie cliche that you pretty much possibly could at the time. And I do remember the part where Art Carney's house blows up in the movie – and uh, the one cop is laying there, and he goes, "I was two days from what retirement." And the sax score, sax score kicks in. It's like, wah, 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 wah. "I was like, oh yeah, lethal weapon." Funny, funny thing about you, you mentioning Last Action Hero is that uh, screenplay by Shane Black, Black, and about twenty five thousand other writers in Hollywood. Well, uh, William Goldman was uncredited on it, so that's always that's fun. Like I, I, I always want to give writers the benefit of the doubt, especially William Goldman, classic writer, you know, Butch Cassidy and all that. But he also wrote Dreamcatcher. Yeah. So yeah, some things you can't forgive. Um, yeah. But let's talk about Shane Black for just a second. Um, yes. While he's a hot button topic, um, some of the films he's written: uh, Lethal Weapon, The Monster Squad. Uh, they say he. Listen, looking at this, if we're just going by. Flat out, not getting nitpicky. Lethal Weapon 2, he had a hand in. Uh, yeah. Last Boy Scout. Last Action Hero. Long Kiss Goodnight. Uh, kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Iron Man 3. Uh, and the Nice Guys. And then he is attached, or he's uh, the writer and director of The Predator, which is going to be coming out in 2018. Mm-hmm. And he's also writing and directing Doc Savage, which has just been announced. Um is going to be played by the rock on uh the rock doing his uh 5000th movie set up for the next few years that guy is a busy man uh, sorry is. to the, der- derail again he the dude likes to work and damn like my my hat goes off to him he just just hammers at it and he's not human no he's really not but you know what he's got charisma and i, I think Shane Black's words coming out of his mouth is going to be gold. Uh, I, I think that Ryan Gosling and Shane Black were meant to work together forever uh, mm-hmm. because the, were his words coming out of Ryan Gosling's mouth were just like perfection. Mm-hmm. Um, but another thing is he's all, not just a writer-director. He's also an actor. Let's not forget. Uh, he had a cop in a police station role in Night of the Creeps. He was Hawkins in Predator. Uh, he was a, uh, a crewman. Uh, on the, in the hunt for Red October, uh, let's see. He was Donnelly in RoboCop Three, that uh, underrated classic. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, 
He was in, he was a henchman in, in the the Boy Scout, which is a short film. Let's and let's not and let's not forget Shane Black also in Caroline in the City. Was he really? Or are you just fucking with me? I I am nothing if not fucking with you constantly. Well, this is true. This is very true. Yes. We can't we can't exactly. Uh, and I hear a lot of people are complaining about the new Predator film, saying that it's going to be too big. Um, wh- wh- why are they complaining? Do they not like good things? Well, uh, I had a friend say to me, uh, and it made a little bit of sense. If you look at the first Predator film, it's very uh, low budget in a way. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't exactly a huge film. I mean, the budget on that was like between fifteen and eighteen million, I think. Yeah, like and it, I, it, it was a, it was a very in, intimate movie. We just had like a small handful of guys. Jungle Predator. That's it. Yeah, and then none of them had time to bleed. Yeah, N- not a single one had time to bleed. And the, uh, then there's the, don't forget the, uh, um, what do you call it? The, uh, uh, I can't talk today. The uh, illiterate Jesse Ventura. I ain't got time to read. But um, <laughs> all, the, all that, that, that much time in your show eating up for that joke, huh? Goddamn right. Goddamn <laughs> right. <laughs> And I, I, will, I do not regret that joke. And it's a stolen joke. It's not even a, but my joke. <laughs> wow, like that's like double shame. Yep, but you know what? It, it, it's as long as it, at least I'm saying it's a stolen joke. I'm not passing it off like it's mine. There you go. Yeah, you're, that's, you're, you're, you're not Menciaing through this. Hell no. <laughs> Hell no. I'm trying to see what the budget is on Predators or the Predator. Uh, before we go here. The budget is Caroline in the City. It is. Uh, oh my god. Uh, Shane Black will direct and co-write with Fred Decker. Ooh. Yeah, oh. Oh, there we go. There we go. Film fans everywhere, their penises got just got hard. <laughs> and their Wolfman nards just got hard. Exactly. Uh, so yeah, that's, 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 now let me ask you before we get going here, what do you, do you think Lethal Weapon held up over the years? Why or why not? Well, that's the, that's the kind of thing that, uh, like we were talking about just before the show, my reaction to it. I was never the biggest Lethal Weapon fan, like of this film or kind of the whole franchise. And it is weird because I saw this movie precisely at the perfect time, like I caught this, uh, the original Lethal Weapon when I was 14 years old, when I was getting into movies, uh, hardcore, and uh, when I was especially watching a lot of these, uh, you know, hailed 80s action movies, because it wasn't long after that that I watched the Conan movies, that I watched uh, Commando, which is one of my favorite just cheesy movies to this day. Uh, fantastic movie and uh you know the predator movie so i was right in there i was right in that uh uh that uh target group and uh it just kind of was like okay that was fine and that kind of applied to the series as a whole you know lethal up to it was fine three fine and uh same for uh four if anything i'm i am annoyed more so by uh number two just because like i really dislike the villain just the it's diplomatic immunity like okay we got it. it's not clever you're just really one-dimensional not very interesting so i just didn't think it was all uh that great but the series as a whole isn't hasn't been anything that i really made a big fuss about 
and you know people who fall in love with the series and uh, just kind of put it on the pedestal and hail it to this day. I won't fault it in any respect. It just hasn't been my thing. And uh, I had actually rewatched Lethal Weapon in the last year, uh, just the the regular version, because for this one I ended up watching the, the uh, director's cut. And uh, both times it was kind of – I just kind of had the same reaction. So in a weird sense, it held up in that I pretty much felt the same way now as I did back then. I don't know whether or not it was because I had seen uh, – because like like we were talking about the tropes that this movie held popularized and the cliches, I don't know if by the time I got around to seeing *Lethal Weapon* that they were so ingrained within uh, pop culture, and I had been exposed to them in one way or another through all the movies and uh, TV shows that I've seen. So that when I finally saw the original thing, I'm kind of like, okay, yeah, whatever. I've seen all this before. Like it's definitely not a badly made film. It does have entertaining performances and some fun lines. It's a piece in action, but it doesn't especially speak to me. It uh, it just kind of exists. Like, yeah, that was fine. That's that's pretty much all I can say for Lethal Weapon. I won't uh, take away its place in action movie history, but for me, it's just never been anything special then, and it isn't anything special to me now. It's a shame. It's a stepping stone for Shane Black, basically, is what you're saying. Absolutely. Like, I do love uh, Shane Black's uh, scripts, and I have uh, liked all of his uh, directorial movies so far. Like, I absolutely adore Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, where, uh, yeah, I do like the places that he went to, because this is definitely, like, a rough a rough start in the sense where there are no uh, frills to it. It's pretty basic, pretty cut and dry in terms of the ingredients of the story, the action, the drama, the lines and everything. So it can only go up and uh add more from there and i do like and he and he has been able to uh juggle those uh duties the more complicated his stories and the bigger his uh budgets have gotten so he's definitely got the talent to do better things and this uh shows where this shows that that he would have the talent to uh to move on to better things but yeah just as a movie it's okay well, I uh, absolutely fucking love this movie, as I said before. And I, I, while I don't think uh, it holds up culturally, because there are a lot of dated uh, aspects of the film, like the car phone instance, where it's like this giant box, um, and, and, and the and the kind of uncomfortable line where after uh, the pro- when they're going to interview the prostitute and the house blows up and. Uh, oh yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yes. trying to pu- trying to put off the fire on his jacket. He's like, "What are you a fag?" And it's like. Oh, wow, really? Wow, yeah, that's the 80s. Oh, boy. I wonder oh. if that wasn't Riggs and that was actually Mel. <laughs> In retrospect, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, that, uh, that's, that's... Now, let me ask you real quick before we go. Do okay. you think that there is a possibility of a Lethal Weapon 5? Or are they, in fact, too old for this shit? Uh, I think uh, Mel is too uh, bigoted for this shit. <laughs> I, I think Lethal Weapon, like you said, the the quote-unquote legacy is living on through the TV show, and you know who knows how um how long that's gonna last. As far as Lethal Weapon Five, I think this is one of the rare things where it's like if they can't get everybody on board in terms of like the main players, you know, Mel, Danny, and. Richard Donner as a director, and, you know, Richard's uh, been getting up there 
in age. I think his directing days are kind of behind him, which is sad to say because, like, I think his last movie he did was 16 Blocks, was just, ooh, uh, oof, yeah. Ouch. Like, yeah, I, 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 li- I like Most Def, but he was just, like, out of control in that movie. I he... most definitely didn't like that movie. but uh yeah i think it's one of those things where it's like if they can't get everybody on board they're just not gonna do it and yeah these days it just it just wouldn't be the same if they did a lethal weapon five or and uh and without without all the people on board so yeah starting over with the tv show probably the best option probably won't be a very good tv show from the looks of things but i'd rather have that than just like haul out the old guys and kind of prod him and do like callback jokes and references for the 5,000th time. Yeah. His, uh, Richard Donner for the record is 86 years old and his last movie was 16 blocks in 2006. It wasn't his last release though, because his final release was Superman to the Richard Donner, cut, Richard Donner cut, in which I own. And I actually have in my hand right now, but have never watched. And and you carry that with you at all times, like going down to the store, like you just have the Superman 2 Richard Donner cut in your hand. I do. I do. Well, I, just, I actually, what's funny is, uh, from what I gather, is uh, during those early days, like with the Superman films, uh, Jeff Johns, as we all know, the comic book guy who's hopefully going to save DC films, um, was Richard Donner's assistant. Really? That's what I understand, yes. That would explain why Donna wrote some action comics with Jeff Johns in the uh, late 2010s. Really? Is Jeff Johns that old? I just uh, pictured I just imagine him as like a younger guy Jeff for Johns whatever reason. Is, he looks young, but he's, well, he's not that much older than me, so he's 43. Maybe he okay. was his assistant afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I can kind of, That kind of makes more sense. Yeah, it would make. Uh, well, let's let's look at this real quick here. Ba, ba, ba. Uh, oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> uh, in Los Angeles, Johns Colt called the office of the director Richard Donner, looking for an internship. And while Johns was being transferred to various people, which is what they do out there, uh, Donner picked up the phone by accident, leading to a conversation and the internship. Johns started by off. Copying scripts, and after about two months, he was hired as a production assistant for Donner, whom Johns regards as his mentor. Okay. And when he was working on uh, Donner's 97 film Conspiracy Theory, that's when he met the the folks at DC Comics, and it just went all from there. Huh. Yeah, the, the, so. more you, the, more, the more you know. Boom, 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 bing! Yeah, I got blinded by sparkles, shit! Don't forget to head over to patreon.com forward slash Ron If you enjoy the show, support this one and all the other podcasts that are coming out under the per TV production helm. You like that? You like that? I think I know you like that. You do. It's fine. It's fine. You can follow no, me I don't. Tw- <laughs> you can follow me on Twitter, <laughs> Instagram, and all that other bullshit at Let's Get It Ron. Uh, AJ, where can they find you on the social medias? All right, they can find me on Twitter at The Mad Movie Man, and I'm on Facebook, facebook.com slash the official Mad Movie Man reviewing uh, various uh, movie obscurities from all uh, genres and all uh, eras of film. So yeah, uh, give me a holler. Tell me what your favorite Kenny Loggins song is. It's gotta be Danger Zone. Gotta be. Gotta be. You know what? I'm more of an I'm all right man myself. 
Yeah, I haven't been all right, so I just don't listen to it. But I also want to thank Becky Finestead and the Cinema uh, Warriors XP for their support over on Patreon. Again, patreon.com forward slash Ron Pertee. And uh, you can be just like them. Be a sheeple. Be a sheeple. It's okay. I want to be like Ron. Everybody should. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, Your diplomatic immunity has just been revoked. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.